0: Welcome back to Talking With TK. I'm your host, Tristan Cannell. We are up to the milestone. We are hitting episode 100. And I've got... I couldn't think of anyone better than this legend that I'm bringing on today. And that is Alex McKinnon. Now, I remember Alex debuting. It was years and years ago. I remember it was a split round in kind of the origin weeks. So he got brought up to first grade. It was a Friday night game against the Gold Coast Titans. He was in that number three jersey, even though he was a back rower. But it's it's still something I just remember to to today. because I love the split rounds in origin, despite the fact that all the stars don't play. I think it gives the opportunity for all of us to just see the next superstars that are coming through and just, he really caught my eye that, that day and the way he defended and as well, as well as he, the way he hit holes. He, he ran this beautiful line off Nathan Fiennes to score his second try under the sticks that just really, really, I still can remember to today. But just after, you know, we don't really have to go through Alex's backstory. We don't know the tragic, tragic circumstances that, you know, cut his career short, but it is inspiring to see the life that he's creating for himself today. He's just about to become a father in October, so congratulations to him and his wife. But some of the work that he's doing at the moment, he's got a a great show called Transitions with Players Voice, where he interviews just legends from all different sports, and it's something I do resonate with because that's something that I love doing as well because they've just got such great stories, and it is great to connect with those sort of people. If you haven't seen him on Fox Sports, he's on the Sunday ticket every Well, he's an analyst on the Sunday Ticket, which is the footy on the the Sunday on Fox Sports. And his insights are just really second to none. And I do know that he loves looking at identifying talent. And he was with the Newcastle Knights previously working in recruitment. And it wouldn't surprise me if he gets down that, that role and really does flourish in a front office job down the track. Before Alex comes on the show, just a big thank you. Two or it's obviously the hundredth show, so there's been ninety nine plus guests on the podcast over the kind of the last year and a little bit. So it's about it's about fifteen months that we've got up to hundred episodes. So pretty proud about that, but I couldn't have done it without any of the guests. So a big shout out. I know a lot of them still do listen to the podcast. So thank you to each and every one of you, and hopefully again we'll have you on for a second episode down the track. Also, everyone listening, whether you're at home or at work, I couldn't have done it without you guys as well. You've helped me build a show that I'm very, very proud of now, but without you guys listening, there pretty much is no show, and I really love it when you guys all reach out, whether it's via social media, on Facebook, send me an email. I'm always open up for a yarn. Tristan at TalkingWithTK.com. Now that you know the email, you have to get in touch, so please do me the pleasure of sending me a quick note. If you, uh, whether it's your first time here or you've listened to all a 100, you know you can find all the episodes available at www.talkingwithtk.com. That's probably the easiest way to direct it to the, the way that you should listen, whether you're on an iPhone, Android, a computer, t- tablet, or desktop, whatever you're on, you'll find it all online at www.talkingwithtk.com. As I did mention, please get in touch. Love to hear from you. Please like the Facebook page to stay up to date with everything that's going on with the show. Twitter you'll find me at Talking with TK. Instagram, Tristan Nell. You'll find me on LinkedIn at Tristan Connell. That's K Apostrophe N-E-L-L. Like I said, guest requests for season two will probably take a quick couple weeks break, but then we'll get stuck into it before the New Year's. So guest requests, love to hear. Your opinion about who should come on the show for season two, or even if you want to introduce me to someone that you think has a great story, love to hear from you. So, Tristan at talkingwithtk.com. All right, guys, let's get stuck into episode 100 and I introduce Alex McKinnon. Alright guys, my special guest in my 100th episode of Talking with TK is Alex McKinnon. Alex is a former professional rugby league player for both Newcastle Knights and St. George Illawarra Dragons. Away from the game, he's actually making huge inroads in his media career. He's an analyst at Fox Sports and what I really love is his new show, Transitions, where he explores the transitions of legends across different sports. Welcome to the 100th episode, my main man, Alex McKinnon.
1: Thank you very much. Thanks for having me.
0: Absolute pleasure, buddy. You know, the first things first I want to talk to you about is, you know, we've chatted a bit about your show, Transitions. And I absolutely love it because I'm in the same sort of, you know, area where I love interviewing legends and getting to pick the brains of these awesome people. Tell me a little bit about Transitions and kind of how that relates back to you.
1: Yeah. I'll be completely honest. Um... It's a bit of a backstory to it, to be honest. When I, I was in 2016 for the whole year, um, sorry, 2015, 2016, midway through, I was working at the Knights mm-hmm. in uh, recruitment. That's something which I really enjoyed. Um, coming to the midway through 2016, I thought that it was time for me to step away from the game and really focus on myself. Because I thought that rugby league and working in that role, which I was, was, yeah. was masking um, and it was kind of not holding me back, but it w- wasn't allowing me to reach my full potential um, and trying to peel things back on myself and really get build a good foundation um, with everything, with health, relationship, work, everything. Um, but the thing that was, I said to myself is, I need to get out and I need to get to know people. Mm. I've been in rugby league for so long. Um, and I had a lot of friends, but I didn't have a lot of people... Um, in a lot of different fields that knew me. They, yep. they knew me through what, what had been written about me and what other people had said, but I hadn't really gotten, got in front of a lot of people and actually got to know people Like and, and presented who I am. Yep. Um, I think sometimes people knew me through other people or through media or through what other people said, um, good, bad, indifferent, but they didn't actually know me. Yeah, okay. um, and so I, what I did was... Contacted Alex Brown from the Players' Voice, voice. Yep. and I said, "I've got this idea. Um, I'm really fascinated in the trend, in the in the process of transitioning out of rugby league, mm-hmm. um, and, and in particularly just sport in Australia. And um, I would love to be able to interview a vast majority of people um, who have retired from sport recently." Um, Five years, ten years. And I'd love to see how they've done it because that's the process that I'm in right now. Mm. And leaving Rugby League in 2016 from working in recruitment, I thought I was taking a leap and I didn't know what to do. But I thought my whole life I've learnt of other people and I'm an only child and I've always been someone that's kept my mouth shut and been able to be very observant and learn from people. So I thought why not create this little video series that will be hopefully good for, beneficial for others, yeah. but also something which I can get something out of. Um,
0: have you ever listened to Tim Ferriss? Yeah, have, yeah. It's like a modern, have you ever heard him say it's a modern day MBA that he's created? No. Yeah, so he's created it. It was like, for him, it's a selfish thing. He wants yeah. to learn off everyone. And
1: that's and that time. was exactly the same as me, mate. I'd, yeah. I, I remember talking to Mark Boris and I said to him, I feel bad Networking sometimes, because I don't want to go in there with the um, interior motive to benefit myself. Oh, I heard it
0: because you, you, you were talking about leveraging. Yeah, I leveraging. Cause that, yeah. I,
1: I've always, um, I'm more. I, like, I love to help people, and I don't like taking things from people. Yeah, you don't I, expect anything. I don't like expect certain. nothing, mate. I, yeah. in my whole life, I do not expect anything from nobody, and that's probably what being one of my biggest deterrent initially when I got injured because I didn't want anyone to help me. And that was one of my biggest things and one of my biggest hurdles was putting that um, barrier down and letting people help me because they want to help me.
0: That's huge, but how did you actually cross that I just had to. I just had to
1: genuinely see that the people that were helping me wanted to help me and I would only let the people help me that I knew were there for the right reason and that were going to be there for the long run. I had a lot of people that were there for the short term, and I could clearly see their motives yeah, okay. behind trying to help me and as time went on, I just wouldn't let them help me, so yeah, back to where I was like I'd, leveraging in that type of stuff was really hard for me because i didn't I genuinely didn't want them didn't want to try and get anything off them, but this series of players' voices has given me the opportunity um, and Alex Brown and the team there has been outstanding yeah, I can't nice speak to enough and yeah. Um, to meet so many legends throughout Australia and it's just been great I've, I've found I got, I've got so well I've recorded around 30 episodes yeah, um, each interview goes horror. for around an hour and a half but gets cut down to around a video series of around 8 to 9 minutes yep but through that hour and a half I've been able to connect with so many different people oh. and everyone's just lovely and
0: the learning experience mate, is just through
1: the just road. so good like and that's how I learn. I, um, I learn through listening to people and, and, and making notes and watching watching um, analyzing different people through video. or, you know, Yeah, it's a fun experience, and I've been yeah, I've loved it, man. I really have
0: the human connection. But like, I reckon I'll learn more in this chat with you today. I went to uni last night yeah. for three hours. I was sitting there. It was like six o'clock to eight o'clock. Yeah. I'm looking at this textbook and this teacher just trying to tell us stuff. I'm going because I'm in sports media. That's what I'm studying. Yeah. But the first subject's PR, which is public relations, yeah. and it's so dense, man, and this is like, you need to get through this to get to the fun subjects, yeah. but at the moment, it's just, that's the challenge in my head, yeah. you got to get through it, you got to get through yeah. it, but that's the conversations, that's where I learn everything, that's what I love about podcasting. Yeah. Tell me about some of the guests that you've had on, because your last two were brilliant, were two of my favourites, Jarl Yee and obviously Wally Lewis, the king. When you pick someone, like I know that... You and Jarrell have a lot in common mm. because your careers were taken from you. Yep. A lot of people have the opportunity to, on their own grounds, leave. Yep. Was that kind of why you wanted Jarrell on?
1: Um, there's probably a few reasons. My best mates are Dane Gagai, yep. and Jarrell, yeah, yeah he played a massive role in his life, okay. so they were both Brisbane Broncos together. Jarrell was maybe two years older than Dane, but they're very similar people, Yeah. just... How charismatic they are! They can um, energize a room, and they're just beautiful people. Like I could, I could from how Dane spoke about Jarrell I could really see how Jarrell was going to be to interview. Okay. So I, I really, I wanted that man. I wanted to feel that, um, and then, yeah. Also, then the, the um, similarity between how careers ended, um, injury wise. But I was really interested to see how he handled that period. Like I. I was generally interested to see how he handled it because I'd, I know the, ch- the challenges that I've faced and the demons that I've gone through and I could only imagine himself what yeah, he would have okay. gone through as well and um, that was the real interest behind that it was yeah it was. I, I really enjoyed it he's yeah, a great guy and, um Wally Lewis um was really interesting did you get tingles yeah. before? so yeah it's a funny one because I never watched Wally Lewis yeah, okay. I'm only 26 and but Everybody knows what he's done for the game, his stories. Yeah. everything. So, from other, I, I'm really close to, to guys like Andrew Johns and uh, Denny Bideris, and, yeah. and they idolise Wally. They always talk about him. He's an immortal. And, and I, and I idolise <laughs> them guys. Yeah. So, to hear them talk about Wally as they do, I'm, yeah, I have the utmost respect. But I don't have, I didn't think I would have that aura. Yeah. I just didn't know. But as soon as he walked in the room, I just went, "Whoa!" I said, "Okay, I can feel it now. Like I can feel his presence. I can feel how he carried himself." And I, but I didn't know how it was going to do um, the interview because I didn't. I, I don't have usually most people I interview I have some little connection through knowing someone that knows yeah. someone. Or with Wally, I didn't know him at all.
0: So it was the first time you had him. Met him?
1: I've met him once before. Did an interview with him. We got a photo with him. Um, 2012.
0: But for Channel Nine. For, for Channel, Channel Nine. Planet, yeah.
1: yeah. Um, but that was very brief, and it was before a game, so I was kind of not really opening myself up for the conversation. And I just did a quick qu- quick cross with him, and then had to get out of there. Yeah. And then I saw it. Then obviously he came to do the interview, and it was just it was pretty crazy to be honest. I I didn't know how it was going to go, flow because we're so age different. It's very different. Yep. Um, I just didn't know whether we had much simula- similarities. But as the conversation went on, like it was honestly one of my favourite ones, because eh? he he just highlighted so many different things to me and it was um, yeah, it was pretty special. Yeah, he said something during the interview, which I'm not sure which was, I don't think it was in the interview, and he highlighted that he had a photo of me on his phone from when we first met in 2012, wow. and that's something which has inspired him throughout his journey with epi- with epi- um, epilepsy. epilepsy. Yeah. And for him to say that to me I just, I had no idea, I had no idea the role that I played in his life. And I think that's something which I say to a lot of people um, that contact me when they go through challenges in their own life. Majority of the time, it's when they have a spinal cord injury. Yep. Um, I, I always highlight the importance, that the, the important roles that you play within somebody's life, whether you know it or not. That's um, the thing you sometimes don't know. You it. don't know <laughs> yeah. it. And that's the thing that I always highlight. I always say that, you you don't know it, you really, sometimes you just don't know it, and that's whether it's your own insecurity, or it's your own complacency, or whatever it is, there's so many roles that you play within a lot of people's lives, that you just do not know, and you just need to sometimes check yourself and realise that, yeah, you are important, in that you do play those roles, because sometimes you just don't know. Yeah,
0: you do really have to yeah. touch one person too, right? Exactly, mate,
1: and yeah, if you can only change one person's life, or save one person's life, and you're You've, you've done your job
0: yeah because I, I had a chat with Joey Williams on the show yep. and Joey's you know, also in mental health he's had his own like, suicide attempts and things like that but yep. my mate was actually going for a really hard time and I didn't even know he listened to the yep. podcast and he got in contact one day and, and said that interview with Joey Williams changed my life and that just that put me on cloud nine for like a month man because yeah, I knew mate. that I could help one of my mates without even directly doing anything do you yeah. know what I mean
1: yeah, it's, yeah. and do yeah You think about a life and how far it can span, and and how far that individual's life can help others. And by just a simple conversation, and it's probably one of the messages that I push the most when I do my presentations. Is um, it's a tough one, but to understand that each challenge, there's something that we can learn out of it, and it might be as simple, the simplest challenge in your whole life. It might be. I don't know, putting a flat pack together. Or it might be um, the simplest challenge, but if you can take a step back and really analyse the whole process from start to, be, to from start yeah. to the finish, you'll, there'll be some clear um, clear key points that you can take out of it. And there's a lot of um, similarities between that simple task and your biggest task that you ever face. And that's what I honestly believe. And I think when I usually... I start my presentations I always say that my challenge is one that's been very public yeah. um, and it's been pretty tough but there'll be people in this room who on their own degree will feel like that their challenge has been tough as well yeah. but for them to speak that out they might mightn't think that it is, is a, it as big as say mine so they won't say anything okay yeah so that's what I try and do I try and draw the similarities between my ta- my challenges and their challenges regardless of the, the degree of how difficulty it is that we can all try and find a similarity between the two. And, um, yeah, I think that really promotes um, the ability to to speak openly about your challenges and and to really analyse it and nut it out. Because that's what it's all about, just trying to figure your way out throughout each challenge.
0: Do you find it interesting? Because, like, I'm similar like you. I've got a rugby league background, played and refereed since I was young. So when I get a rugby league person on... I find it so easy because I know so much about them. Just from watching all the sports, the ones that really challenge me a lot mm. are the ones that are outside the box. Are you finding something similar when you get away from the rugby league people?
1: Yeah, I feel like I'm I'm less prepared. Um, I, can, I, can, I can know a lot about the person that I'm going to interview yeah. um, with the rugby league, but some of the ones that aren't in rugby league for example Ann Sargent mm-hmm. an Australian netball captain yeah. for 10 years had no idea with all respect to Anne I did not even know who she was I, I saw a photo so I knew her from a photo I knew her from um, just the news and that type of stuff but yeah. I had no idea who she was and but that was one of my favourite ones because I went in there with a complete open perspective, open book. Just blanked it. Blanked, blanked yeah. it. And I had a few stats and I just opened the conversation and it just flowed perfectly, had a great energy um, and I loved it. Like, there was no flat spots, it was just perfect. Like, it, was, it flowed really well and it kind of took it away from my comfort zone of rugby league and really took me out of it and it made me have to think on the spot, how am we going to get something out of this lady that's going to be beneficial to other people, but then we just got into this spitballing, and it got to a point where I was like, "Wow!" She said something to me which has stuck to me,
0: yeah.
1: and it's, I, I love um, scouting, and I love um, looking at champions of, the, of, of each of every sport um, mm-hmm. or business or whatever it is, and guys like Cameron Smith, um, the Melbourne Storm, or, um, Wayne Bennett at the Broncos, or Tom Brady. And I draw this comparison from um, this interview that I did, and she highlighted that there is no limit to success. And for me, that is something which she told me that a year and a half ago, and I still think about it daily. When I see champions like these guys I just spoke about, there's, there is no limit. It doesn't matter how many competitions, it doesn't matter how many tries they score, it doesn't matter how many things they succeed, um, they do successfully in life. It, there is no limit yeah, and that can be cra- that can be um, alarming sometimes and that could be a very dangerous situation to put yourself in but channeled correctly um, it's probably one of the biggest characteristics that a champion has to have and people highlight things about Wayne Bennett and they can say as much as they want about him but he has that and the people that criticise him, they don't. And they don't understand that he he will never stop. Mm. And he will never stop because there is no limit. And I don't think, unless you really sit down with no objection and sit down and really analyse these type of people, yeah. you won't see it. And But that, I honestly believe, is the biggest... Um, biggest characteristic of a champion is that they have no limit to success they, it doesn't matter how many things they win and whatever they do, there'll be no limit and sometimes you, that can be dangerous because you won't be satisfied um, with what you have done, but like I said channelled correctly um, in something that you're passionate about can be can lead to greatness and that's what, honestly what I believe pushes a lot of these people here
0: Yeah, you know, you are an awesome you're awesome at analysing things now Yeah, I don't know about you, but Sometimes I don't even love what they do on the field and yeah. the end result. I love, and I think this is probably doing the podcast, the stuff that we do now, I love finding out about the preparation and yeah. the little stories and the things about their family that have led into that success. Yeah, I'm 100%. That's,
1: I love that stuff,
0: yep. Yeah, and it's just that, those little things that I think people kind of, they jump to the end result without kind of thinking about all the little steps that they need to take and the processes and systems in place that these people have. Yep. Yeah. And that's kind of what makes that winning formula to getting that end goal. Yeah. Would you agree with that?
1: Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, I'm, I'm, I probably analyse things too much.
0: Yeah. Were um, you always like that?
1: Yeah, because I've always been a... I'm uh, my only child. Yeah. I've always been a real watcher, and I've always been around a lot of older people in my life. So, I grew up in Aberdeen. New South Wales, and my old man um, played for the Aberdeen Tigers, and okay. the field's named after my pop. Is it? Yeah. So, from as yeah as as from the age that my mother would let my dad take me by himself, I was at the football
0: field. So, were they big guys like you?
1: Yeah, they were. But I was, I I just sat and I'd watch. Dad Dad did the strapping and the um, rubbing and everything <laughs> at the club. So I used to just sit there next yeah. to the table and just watch and listen and probably learn a few things. Um, too quickly Mm. that I shouldn't but I was always someone that I was respectful but I was very observant I used to sit there and just watch everything and and, um, that's just how I am mate I I can't help myself I'll give you a great example Billy Slater just announced his retirement um, and he also spoke about on um, spoke about on the footy show his his um, journey in rugby league Mm -hmm. and even his life and that really interests me, one thing that interests me the most was that he went to Sydney to work for Gay Waterhouse, but then gave up on it and went home. See for me that I feel like some people can be um, they can be not categorized but can be put into a little pocket and be seen I feel like some people at that time would probably categorize as someone that would give up. Mm. that wouldn't be able to face challenges and persist with something. But in hindsight, he just wasn't passionate about it. Yeah. He, was pa- he, he was passionate about rugby league. He he found something to put all his energy and, and all his ability into and he committed to it. And To see that he went to Melbourne six months later and now 16 seasons on, he's one of the greatest rugby league players of all time and he's so determined and he's so persistent and he's so um, passionate about what he does.
0: Yeah. Like, it's, it
1: really interests me. That but you,
0: back to what you said about him you know, leaving the horse racing yeah. industry. You know, like you did mention, people would see that as a failure. but For sure. But I see him being able to observe yeah. and actually think about it and think about other things that he wanted to do and move on into a different direction. I, I see that more of the strength.
1: I completely agree. Being able to understand, this is not what I want to do. Yeah. Cutting the line and then take going home with maybe some shame of not, uh, not achieving what he wanted to achieve but then really navigating his way through what he needed to do and, and, and putting all his passion and, and commitment into something which he loves. Yeah. Um, I think that's one of the biggest things. It's, it's all about trying to navigate your way through. Um, and like I said before, when you think, if you think that you're not enjoying what you're doing, sometimes you just need to cut, cut the cord, move on, and figure out what else you want to do. There's no shame in it. No, and there's not. That's one, But <laughs> listening to his story... I was, very in, I was very inspired by that process, mm. that process of him going to Sydney, failing, coming back, and then going again and sticking at something. And I thought that was...
0: But it's okay to that,
1: fail It's 100%. I, I completely agree. That's yeah. what it's all about. It's about giving yourself time and just figuring it, figuring it out. And, and then that,
0: finding what you really and, want to yeah.
1: do. And that's what, out of his whole journey of everything he's done... For some reason in my mind, that was what stood out. It wasn't the fact that he's gone on to um, do everything in the game, change the way a fullback plays the game, um, push through injuries, everything. For some reason in my weird mind, that was the thing that stood out.
0: Yeah. Yeah,
1: right at the beginning.
0: But even yourself, you know, you said that you left recruitment in 2016. But your passion is still analysing and recruiting. Mm. Like, you still recruit without even being officially in a role but you still help out and yeah. what we heard before the camera switched on that might be something that you want to explore again
1: yeah and it, it, is, it is it's a hobby for me mate I, I generally enjoy that process I, I like um, analysing kids seeing characteristics um, building profiles
0: what do you do? Make little spreadsheets? Or yeah, something? getting
1: you know, little little spreadsheets. I've got a, a program that I, that I, that I own called Prozone, yep. which highlights. Um, you can analyse different things through different statistics and um, build little profiles and and things like that and, nice. and boards. It's it just it's a hobby for mine, but um, it's something which I've always loved. I've loved that age group between say fourteen and say nineteen, just seeing how ambitious and committed that they are and. Um, yeah, I, I genuinely really enjoyed, that's what my passion is, and I I, I really enjoy that, yeah.
0: Yeah, with the recruitment, like, what was the first year that you played junior reps?
1: Uh, first year I played junior reps was 2006.
0: Were you already outside of school, or did you play junior reps while you were at Greggs? I was at Greggs,
1: yep. I went to, I went to St. Greggs when I was 14 in, yep. year, in year 9, so that was 2005, yeah, well 2005
0: great breeding ground too
1: yeah and I went there solely with the purpose just to get out of my comfort zone um, my parents gave uh, gave me the opportunity and whether I wanted to do it and I remember crying leaving Aberdeen <laughs> because they said it you, was you're my, still a kid yeah they said it was my decision to do that and I just thought it was the best thing to do I, I wanted to be a rugby league player and I wanted to to take a risk and going down there it was one of the best things I've ever done in my whole life at gave me a lot of pride of where I've come from and what I was a part of and um, put a lot of pressure on me to to do my parents proud, not just with my education, but to do where I come from proud with my rugby league and um, yeah, it was probably one of the best decisions i ever made. And, um, Why
0: did you guys pick Greg's?
1: I had a friend that went there, yep. um, Jai Tenner, he was about six years older than me, he was signed with the Dragons as well and he went there and he loved it and mm-hmm. Um, had that such a strong Marist rugby league background, and yeah, it was yeah, it was
0: pretty good. How does it work when you're a boarder? Do you have to share with someone?
1: Yeah, so great, funny story. So in year nine, you're in dorms. Yep. Um, you're segregated into little your own little bunker kind of thing. Okay. Um, but there is eight dorms per pod. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm an only child, so I come from living in my own house, but I loved that team environment. So I love always been around people um so then when I went to boarding school obviously Aberdeen is a very Anglo-Saxon place um has a small Aboriginal community but that's really it there's no other nationalities in Aberdeen maybe now but back then there wasn't many
0: had you met anyone from different races before Um, you left
1: not really no no not not really so then I went into a dorm at St. Gregory's College in Campbelltown, in 9. Like I said, there was eight people. There was myself, Brad Murray. Who's who the
0: halfback, did he? For yeah, Parra? for Parra. Yeah.
1: Um, I went to primary school, high school in Aberdeen, and then boarding school with him. He was a year above me, but yeah. so I knew him really well. There was two guys, two Italian guys um, from Griffith, New South Wales. Okay who were very strong Italian families, so they were there for their first year. There was two Sudanese guys, um, David Menyok-Thiak and Sabir Balao. Yep. There was a guy from Singapore that was, um, he he would fly in, and then during holidays he would fly home back to Singapore. Wow. Yep. So his first language um, wasn't really English. Um, there was a guy that had moved from Paris with his family so um, background was, um,
0: was French French yeah
1: and then there was a kid from Lithgow
0: who was New- who had a really strong New Zealand heritage so you had like a bit of a geography class I within your own door.
1: I went there but I was I'm someone that I love that I, I really do I love the indigenous culture in Australia Yeah. Um, I'm very eyes open I want to learn off people and I'm really open so me going in there I wasn't like holy shit I was like how good is this like this is what I wanted like yeah. I I want to absorb all this stuff it's culture man yeah it is and I genuinely love that type of stuff um and it was really interesting uh, I yeah I learnt a lot of um a lot of different things and it was yeah it was it was beautiful
0: you still in touch with some of the boys today
1: yep yeah I'm still in touch with some of them um it's interesting, the different walks of life. So it's next year's our 10 year anniversary of leaving school. So oh, wow. yeah, it's all happening.
0: But Greg's, you know, the team that you played in, actually before we go to Greg's, you know, you did talk about your grandpa and your, your old man playing rugby league. What age did you first pick up the ball and, and have a crack yourself like in, in an actual game?
1: Yeah, I was five years old. I was five years old and I went over to the field and they were signing me up. It's only a small community. 2,000 people in Aberdeen and they said um, I thought I was signing up for under f- fives uh, under sixes so I was going to play one year up yep. and heaps of my, me and my mates about three of my mates who, who were five as well we went there to sign them up and they said oh unfortunately there's no sixes there's only sevens so straight away we had to sign two years up <laughs> and I was like Oh, well, I years. wanted to play and mum was like oh I'm not sure but dad was like you'll be right." so yeah so I was five playing under sevens and then you know, that was it
0: what were you back then uh, was there even positions back then or was nah, it, nah no
1: positions but I was always pretty tall yeah. for my age group it was yeah It just I just loved it mate I, it was good fun I think there's a real hidden secret about playing against older people yeah. I think it's a a really when you when you are recruiting and when you are looking at characteristics and people's background in playing rugby league playing against people who are older I think it's really important um, just just uh, the art of being able to navigate your way into a game, um, playing against older people, trying to challenge and get yourself, your own traits and own strengths into the game and persist when it's not as easy as playing against people who are older. I think yeah. there's a real key element to it um, in regards to playing against older people.
0: It's I interesting think. you brought it up. Like my podcast this week was with a hockey coach, his name is Rick Charlesworth. So he coached both the women. So he, the women's team between 93 and 2000. Yeah. So they won two gold medals at the Olympics during that time and won everything. Wow. So they're one of the most dominant sporting teams of all time. And then he did it again for the men's, but they didn't win any Olympic golds, but I think they won a bronze. But yeah. They won every other tournament apart yeah. from that. But his advice to me in that sort of area, just like you said, he said, to be better, you've got to be playing against people that are better than you, yeah. but for the women, they were so good, they actually got them to play against the men. That's yeah. how they actually got better. And it's just like the men's, they had to like do all this different stuff in training because they couldn't play against anyone better. But yeah. it's interesting that you just brought that up. Yeah. That's what he said.
1: And because I did that and I analysed my way through it, I now watch football in a completely different way. I watch an under-16s game and can go, OK, this kid is great. He's a great left centre, carries the ball on his left arm. Um, but the way that he's made all these line breaks is simply by um, skipping out palming and scoring yeah he might have scored five tries but that doesn't translate being able to to get get one on one skip outside and 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 have a one trick pony that, that that doesn't translate to the nrL yeah
0: um, you need multi you need multi skills, you need to be, able to, be yeah. able to
1: break the line you need to be able to do all the effort areas whether it's kick chase and all the little different things um, that you would see when you watch rugby league yeah, it's great that you can do that one thing but if that's all you can do playing against older people who analyse your game week in week out just a one trick pony doesn't translate and yeah for me that's, that's, there's a lot of different things that from my own experiences where I've failed and where I haven't been able to do things and also by analysing other, other people um, I think that's Really in the art of recruitment, and something I love, love looking into.
0: Yeah, for sure. You know, in the era that me and you grew up in the eighties and nineties, sports to me was you could pick out someone that was really good by the natural skills. Today's it looks like there's more athletes than actual skilled players. Yeah. Are you finding that when you go see the kind of lower oh, grades? You're, you're it's easy for you to pick someone out yeah. because there's only a few of them that have that natural skills, versus being massive and being great athletes.
1: Yeah, I think there's a few ways to look at it. I think the pool has got smaller of who will be the elite because everyone's on an even playing field now. Yeah. Everybody's given their own nutrition plans. Everybody's given their weight plans. Yeah. Everybody trains the same. Um, I suppose back in the day, people would freelance a little bit and not really know what they're doing and people would get get through. But I think these days, the pool is getting smaller um, because of the demands, the the amount of load that you do when you're training, um, how controlled the game is yeah. these days, it's really important to be able to create as an individual create your own opportunities and break the line. I'm talking about rugby league here. So yeah. someone like a Cameron Munster is so good because he doesn't need anybody around him to create opportunity. He can simply break the line. Um, and you look at all the, the best players at the moment, they can create for themselves. You think someone like Latrell Mitchell, yeah. give him the ball. He can, he can do whatever you want him to do. Whereas somebody who isn't as um, physically gifted hasn't got those opportunities. Yes, they might be able to work harder than him, but they'll only be able to get to a certain level. Okay. Um, I think there's, there's also a, a difference between... Um, and being a very gifted athlete, and then having that rugby league IQ and passion, I feel like guys that have that rugby league real passion stand out. Like, you know what, these days you can just see it.
0: They blow up. It's just those you, little you can, things. You yeah. can just
1: see it, mate. You can because of like I said, there's more guys getting through on the back of being athletes, and but then if you've got the if you've got the, the gold nugget of having both of those, having a real rugby league passion and then also having a uh, um, being a- athletically gifted, I think of someone like um, Jake Juhovic. Like he, he's a pure footballer. He glows. In my, when I'm looking yeah. at someone and I look at different um, characteristics and I analyse someone, he for someone as a rugby league lover, he just in my eyes he glows, mate, because he just you can see he has the determination he has the physical presence he has um, he's very reserved in his approach he's very um, self aware he, he wants to learn yeah. he's just he, he's just in my eyes he just glows mate. he's hes someone that I would love at my, my club and you know
0: an old school player that I really love is Ash Taylor yeah. I'm not sure if you love Ash Taylor but he's when I grew up, it was Alfie Langer and Ricky Stewart. Yep. And these guys took control of the team. You know, Now they set up with half on one side, half on the other. Yep. Ash Taylor doesn't really do that. He no. just wants to be first receiver yep. and control the team. And I think if you find the right environment for him to be with with the players that can click around him, yeah. he could lead the team to a premiership, I feel.
1: Yeah, that, that, that's the key, having the right people around him. Um, I don't know Ash at all. So, and I don't really know many people that know him. Um, That's probably if I don't know somebody and I want to know more about them, I usually ask other people to hear stories and just because I'm genuinely curious. I'm curious, but I don't know much about Ash. Um, He's a talented young kid. I feel like him at a club with a very strong senior player group, playing group, would really. Um, Melbourne, Brisbane Not even Brisbane these days I feel like they haven't got that that, that real old guy those real old guys They're getting a very young roster don't they? If he was at Melbourne or or the Sharks Sharks I feel like mate he would be yeah he'd be driven um, week in week out to to really perform and feel the pressure Um, yeah I don't know about the Titans I, I don't know the culture up there at all I don't I don't really know mate but um, there's
0: no traditions either. There's a very it's a small culture, you know I mean? It's very fresh, so
1: Yeah. It, yeah, it's a tough one. But yeah, he's he's definitely very gifted.
0: Mm. Alex, I'm still intrigued about the Greg's man. So when you came through, you know, you're talking about your mate, great mate Jack DeBellin before. He was in a year above your right. Uh,
1: same same year. He was a year, year, year older
0: but so he was probably doing pathways or something like that?
1: Uh I was a year younger, so I was um I was a year young for my year. Okay. Yeah, so I was only um In year 12, I I finished when I was 17, so he was 18. So he was the right age,
0: I was a year young. Yeah, okay. But your team, you had Matt Grout Grout as well, and you had Jack Stockwell as well. Who else did you have coming up through there?
1: Um, So um, so our first grade team was James Tedesco.
0: Teddy played in your team too? Wow.
1: Kyle O'Donnell.
0: Yep. Luke O'Donnell's younger brother.
1: Yep. Sam Williams.
0: Halfback from Canberra.
1: Yep. Matt Grout. Jack Stockwell. Our hooker was Nick White. Who yep. Played for the Wallabies. Mm-hmm. Um, he's from
0: Scone, actually, same area as me. Yep. Did you know him from back home?
1: Yep. Yeah. Yeah. We yeah, went, yeah. Yeah, I went to high school, uh, primary school, high school, boarding school with, with him, him and Brad yeah, Murray. Cool. Well, Brad Murray was another one. Uh, we had myself, Jack DeBellin, Sean Spence. Tigers. It? Tigers. Yep. Don't want to leave someone out here. Ed Murphy, who played, he's played at North for a, a bit. He's down Canberra now. He's he was with um, South for a bit. Uh, yeah, South. Yep. Who was coaching? Andrew Dent was a was a coach. It's a funny one. It's, you know what, mate? I'll be completely honest. It's probably my biggest regret. Um, my last year at St. Greg's with rugby league. Why is that? Because they just introduced the under twenties competition,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and my, when I was in year eleven, yep. um, we didn't have the strongest team. But I put all my focus into under twenties. So I was sixteen. I was I'm, I'm the third youngest ever to play under twenties. So oh, so only, you were sixteen? I was at the sixteen. Time. First yeah. year, two thousand eight. Wow. So the only two who were older, than, who were younger than me when they played was William Papawati and Boyd Cordner. And they were literally a couple of days before me. Um, yeah, I debuted against Parramatta. Where was that at? At Parramatta Stadium. Yeah. With guys like Tim Menor, John Menor, um, Gardner, um, Tim Marimi, um, Mortimer, wow. Keating, um, Tony
0: Williams. He was a big kid as well, uh, man.
1: I was 16. I was only young second game was against the Roosters um, had guys of like guys like Hardgraves Kennedy Martin Kennedy Yeah. Oh, Jesus um, they had a gun team and it was stacked but but back to where I was going with that is at that time I wanted to be an NRL first grader mm. and my my real drive was to play for the Dragons and they gave me the opportunity at 16 to play 20s, so I'd already had that taste. So then going into the Year 12 season, my whole focus wasn't on school football. Okay. It was only on 20s. I failed. I played terrible when I played for New South Wales, Triple C. I didn't make Australian schoolboys, which was the only representative team that I didn't make from 15 through my whole career. Mm. I played under-15s for Australia. I was captain under-16s, New South Wales, mm. um, a year young for under-18s New South Wales, I was captain. Under-18s New South Wales, I was captain. Um, and Australian school boards is the only thing I didn't make. And but it's one, that and playing, not playing for my school. So,
0: What was I, the mindset like when you... Because you would have played triple C with the... It's like a three or four day tournament.
1: Yeah, in, my, in Newcastle.
0: And then at the end of the tournament, you played the final and they announced the team. Yeah, and I didn't you, make you, it. you didn't make it. Yeah. Like, Jason
1: Tumbalolo made it and he was three
0: years younger than me. Did you kind of how did you, you approach it? I was shattered. Yeah,
1: yeah, and mate. To be honest, that was one of my biggest drivers for the rest of my career. It's so weird, mate, but it just stuck with me because it didn't stuck with me. It didn't stick with me that I didn't make it. Mm. It was how I played, and it was the complacency that I had at that time. I wasn't playing how I wanted to. I was being a, a bad example of who I am, and I have always carried where I've come from. I am I always know where I come from. I know who I represent. I know when they see me, they know where I've come from and, and who I am. And the way that I played in that carnival was very not Alex McKinnon. And it's mate, it, 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 it drove me, and it still drives me to this day, a little failure like that. and
0: Was it from, like, day dot that you yeah. realised? I remember, you I remember driving out. home
1: back to Aberdeen. I sat there. I wrote a message, which was probably two phones lengths mm. of everything that I'd done wrong, um, how and, and how I did the full self analyse of myself and then and I sent it to Steve Price, my coach, and he was under twenties coach at the time. And I said, man, I've failed. Um, I'm not I didn't play like me, probably haven't played like myself for the last six weeks. Um, blah blah blah, this is what I want to
0: do. What do you say, yeah?
1: He goes, Well, um, he goes what did he say? He sent back a simple message that He goes, um, Oh, what did he say? He said something like, what's up to you now, something like that. So he he pretty much put it straight back back on myself. And then, um, but went back to where I was, sorry, the Arrival Live Cup come around for St. Greg's Hmm. and on the exact same weekend, because they usually play the Arrival Live Cup on the Friday, um, they selected me to play for the Dragons. On the same day. Same day. Yeah. And I chose that. And they lost. Made it so you would have
0: thought you would have been the difference between probably winning and losing at that yep. stage?
1: definitely, mate. I'd back myself to be the difference and, yeah, I was shattered. All my boarders and teammates at, the, at that time at the school um, played in that and I didn't. And I played at St. Greg, I played it up at North Queensland um, in under-20s and it was a massive achievement for me to play under-20s um, at that time. And, and, yeah, I submitted my spot in the team I'm in the 20s for the next fresh of the year at 17, and I really enjoyed it, but...
0: It's, you felt like you let I, yeah, I let my teammates team yeah, down, mate,
1: I did something which it. uh, it's very...
0: Um, it was the first kind of lesson in leadership and culture that you probably learned.
1: Yeah. yeah, it really, um, it's definitely stayed with me.
0: So I'll tell you what's really strong, man, the MCS comp. You know, when you're playing week after week, you're playing as Patrician Brothers Blacktown, yep. Terra Sancta, Patrician Brothers Fairfield. Yep. I don't think people realise how. St. S- Dominic, St. Dom's. Yeah, people Rye, don't, yeah, don't realise how strong that competition is and kind of that point of difference and competitive advantage for the kids that play in that competition. The amount of kids that I've seen that haven't played in any rep teams before, playing that league and advancing, develop just yeah. out of the blue mm. through playing with good players like yourself who are already in the reps and things like that did you notice the same things some of the kids that might not have been junior reps at that stage later on three or four years later you're playing against them then in 20s
1: oh well Jack DeBellin is probably a great example of that he come in year 11 to St Greg's and didn't play any representative stuff for or junior reps sorry and mm. didn't make any representative teams um, school based yep but yeah just he played in the MCS competition uh, year 11 and year 12 mm and simply being a body, you train every day you go to the gym you're playing touch footy like and he went up, he's played for New South Wales now he's probably going to be the Australian block well, yeah, he's sure. 27 years old and on top of his game playing for the Dragons has played for a long time now he's a great example I think uh, another great example is Adam Elliott from the Bulldogs yeah, he was at St. Greg's. I only know the guys from St. Greg's, but um, Adam Elliott's another great example um, playing for the Bulldogs right now he's gone through the MCS competition yeah. playing for St. Gregg's um, I think it's. I think it used to be a lot stronger. I remember when I came through, um, my my MCS competition had guys like Aaron Woods, who was at Ride. Ride, yeah. Um, Pat Polatini was at Ride. Blake Austin was at Saint Dominic's. Matt Moylan was at Saint Dominic's. Harry Seeker was at Saint Dominic's. Dellen Watini Lezniak was at Saint Dominic's. Ooh. Malachi was at Saint Dominic's. Um, they were at a gun team. T Brothers were at St. Dominic's. Petition Brothers had a very strong team as well. Uh, Tim Arimi, um just uh, Jamie Bura. They had to, it was a very, very strong competition um, at that time, yeah.
0: Absolutely. So Craig Young's the one that actually scouted you, right? Yeah. How old were you when you first got scouted?
1: I was 14.
0: Did you remember your first contract and how much it was for?
1: Yeah, it was $1,000.
0: Yeah.
1: And I would have signed for nothing. It was, yeah, I had a, well, I've still got a friend, Jack, Jack Stockwell, who, um, was signed at the Dragons.
0: Yeah. Where's he now, Newcastle?
1: He's at the Titans, the Titans now. Titans, yeah. Yeah. At the time, he was at the Dragons, and everybody at the school was with the West Tigers, mm-hmm. and just something about the tradition and the Dragons just made me want to go there, and, um, West Tigers offered to pay all my school fees and I said, no, really? I wanted to sign with the Dragons for $1,000.
0: Yeah. How did you get to, because I'm assuming what training would be at Wollongong?
1: Yeah, it's at um, Illawarra High School in Berkeley. Yeah, so I used to travel with Jack Stockwell and um, a guy called Jared Thompson, who was from Camden, who was another Australian schoolboy representative from the school.
0: So would they pick you up and then take you back? Is that what happened?
1: Yep, I'd go with them. They'd live in, they lived in the area. Um, so I'd just travel down... Initially, it was just Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Play on Saturdays, um, live an afternoon. And then, as time went on, when I was in when I was in under twenties, it was Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Um, And then, in my final year at St. Craig's for under twenties, it was I was leaving at two o'clock at school, one thirty, two o'clock, and yeah, training Monday, Tuesday, recovery Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, playing Saturday. Sometimes playing school football on a Thursday, yeah.
0: Yeah, was Dragons the first place that you did weights at? Eh?
1: Uh, yeah. School, probably St. Greg's was probably where I started when I was 14 at the end of the year. Just buys and they tries? Let me, they let me into the gym, yeah.
0: Um, Chess, buys and tries?
1: Yeah, I definitely wasn't squatting. <laughs> um, but yeah, down there was, because I was a big kid, I kind of probably didn't set the right foundation for myself weights-wise because I was able to lift pretty heavy quickly because mm. I was a bigger guy, um but being down yeah, the Dragons is probably where it'll start, yeah.
0: Yeah, nice. So you move through the grades, you know, actually one question I want to ask you, what was the first meeting with Wayne Bennett and what was your first impression? How old were
1: you? We had a HBU high performance little squad, yep. which was a combina- combination of guys from under 15s through to 19, mm-hmm. that age group, from St. George and Illawarra. So they had a a high performance group which was put together which was very small it was guys like myself BJ Lelua um, this guy called David Uwe, um, Jack Stockwell Jared Thompson Cole Stanley Kevin Naguama, Dean Vare
0: yeah. I'm trying to think of the other names
1: that's a, a really small group so we used to all train together doing skills and that and Wayne come out in the field one day and I just remember I'll never ever forget it he'd come out in the field one day and he stood at the end of the field and the level of intensity just went straight, straight through the roof. roof Yeah, and I just went whoa like okay it's on here
0: did he say anything? no nothing
1: just turned around and walked off wow yeah
0: and was that like that for a while would he keep turning up?
1: yeah just anyone that's been to Wollongong Stadium but when there's a field and there's a backfield and the step back of the stadium overlooks the, the backfield which is yeah. the training field yeah. and there's just windows there so you'd be training and then you'd look up and you'd see Dean Young or you'd see Craig Young or you'd see Wayne Bennett just standing
0: in the window watching. Just having a look, yeah.
1: So it was very interesting training in that backfield at the time because you just never knew who was watching.
0: So that just pushed you to always be on your game pretty much? Yeah,
1: yeah on, to be on my game but also to just impress him. Yeah, you wanted to, to play first grade there. Yeah.
0: How long did it take for you to actually, like, personally meet him and actually have a conversation with him? Uh,
1: I was in training with first grade... My first year uh, of my new contracts when I was 17, end of 17, so I finished school in 17 when I, uh, <laughs> when I was 17 years old. And in the November, I was, did my first pre-season with first grade. And did you move down there? Yep. Yep, moved to, down to there the Moved Darius Boyd and Jake Markito at 17, it was pretty cool. The boys? <laughs> yeah, they took them under my under their wing, they helped me out a lot. Because they're a little bit older than you, aren't they? Yeah, Darius is years older than me
0: yeah
1: I'm only 17 he was 22 at the time he'd just come down from the dragons I't uh, down from the Broncos and Jake Marquito was three years older than me he was 20 so they, they were a lot older than me yeah the big brothers yeah they looked after me so much mate um, but yeah the first time I saw Wayne was I was training with first grade and he hadn't really said much to me mm. I just did a conditioning drill and not, I was very lucky because I had guys like Bo Scott Ben Cray, Dean Young, Jared Saffey, Matt Pryor in front of me. Yeah. So I knew what I needed to... I knew what an NRL representative back row looked like.
0: So they set the bar so high... Every single day. Did, yeah.
1: There wasn't a day I didn't couldn't turn up and see where I needed to go. And that was what I wanted to be. So I'll never forget we did a conditioning session on a Sunday and at 17 I was beating Ben Cray, Bo Scott, Matt Pryor... Old, in the conditioning drill I always have this thing and this saying that it doesn't matter how skillful you are if you're not fit enough you're not in the game and, and that's something which has stuck with me and I say it to kids all the day it doesn't matter how fit you are I mean how, how big how fast how skillful if in the 79th minute you can't keep up and you aren't there to, to seize the moment because you're not fit enough then yeah. there's no point having the skill
0: well it's a controllable isn't it
1: 100% mate you've got to be in the game so that's something initially that I just said, okay, if these guys are going to be fit, then I'm going to be fitter. And I just, I'll just i never forget, we did this drill and, um, and I just smoked him out of the water and Wayne pulled me aside and just gave me a wrap and I was just nice. well, was like beaming. <laughs> and then, um, to be honest, about a month later, my pop passed away yeah. and I'd never really had anything to do with Wayne. And then my first session back with first grade... I trained terribly, wore the wrong shoes, tested terribly, trained, yeah, terrible.
0: Mine just wasn't there. Wasn't there. Wayne pulled
1: me aside and just gave me a really, just a a calming kind of, not a cuddle, but just a a good chat and just highlighted the importance of the club and um, spoke about my grandfather, even though he didn't even know me, and he was very, very loving, hey, and from that point, I just went, okay, this guy gives a shit. He cares. Yeah. Um,
0: Did that make it easy for you to approach him any time that you felt that he might have been down, or you yeah. needed advice on something?
1: Yeah, it just it, yeah, it was just very, very warm, a very warm, welcoming kind of feeling, and like a dad away from home. So yeah, that for feeling. sure. And that's one of the things that I say about Wayne Bennett. Like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how you play under him. Mm. If you've had the ability to be coached by him, whether it's for six months, six weeks, six years, you're very lucky because he cares and he's and the lessons that you learn from him throughout that period will you be able to carry them throughout your whole life. And I say that all the time, and I think it's really important that.
0: He's a That's right, gun. I can edit anything, mate. So.
1: I think it's just really important that people understand that because people always they it's a professional world and they rule things on wins and losses. Mm. But um, end of the day is also about life and the lessons that you take with it and throughout the challenges that you have. And um, I've taken a lot of lessons out of being coached by him. I'm very lucky for that.
0: Yeah, talk to me a little bit about Darius because he was your best man at the wedding, right? Yeah, Darius is very interesting because when he was growing up and going through the, the grades, things like media. You know, it didn't really... He wouldn't say much in the media. But now, he did a great interview on Legal Life. You probably saw it. And his openness after he probably had children, got married and things like that. He's unbelievable on the camera now. I really enjoy his interviews. Um,
1: The same person that everyone sees of Darius now, I've always saw. Yeah. Um, It's a funny one, mate, because... So I moved in with Darius when I was 17, and he was 22. And he was the king in my eyes, like, he was the fullback for the Dragons, he was playing at the top of his game, the way that he trained, the way that he looked after himself off the field, Mm. how he carried himself, was just the ultimate professional. But as I am, I'm very, uh, I'm very observant, so me living with him, he never really spoke about his mum and dad ever, Um, never really spoke about his family ever. And I just, I'm a very, um, I'm a very loving person. Like I'd, I want I'm a caring and loving person that if someone's helped me out, I want to help them. And yeah. I just sensed something, there was just something off about him. And he, But he, he gave me everything, mate. He looked after me so much. And our bond as friends just kept, continued to grow. And um, I started to recognize that he was different around me. So he'd, yeah. he'd open up a bit more, we'd have great chats even though we were at, he was five years older than me. But had we, that connection. We just had know? that connection yeah. and um, yeah, I'm very thankful for for him and as time went on, I could clearly see the person that he was with me was not the person that everybody else saw mm. and that was something which is frustrating for me because I still defend him to this day with some people.
0: You just wanted everyone else to see what you saw. Yeah, yeah. And, then,
1: um, and he was, yeah, he's just a great bloke mate and, just to know what he, to know the backstory, to know everything he's gone through, to know where he's at right now, it's. I'm pretty happy for him, and to see the person that he let, um, to see the person that he is now, and how he sh- how he presents himself, and mm. to see people love him too, and, and be very warm towards him, it's um, it's a great feeling.
0: Yeah, 2010, Dan Hunt got injured in the warm up, and you got chucked on the bench. You didn't play, but you were in the actual team yeah. with the first graders. How long before Dan got... Were you warming up with the boys? Is that what happened? No, so
1: I was playing under-20s before. I was only 18. Yeah. And the... I actually got into a fight with nine minutes to go in the under-20s game, got sent off.
0: Were you a bit of a fighter back in the day, mate?
1: Oh, I've got red hair, so I'm pretty fiery. (laughs) Um, I'll never forget, actually. They put a bomb up. I ran through. I went to catch the bomb, and the guy from the from the, uh, from the Raiders jumped over me yeah. and kind of fell over I, I took his legs out but I was going for the ball and people come in pushing me and i ended up getting into a fight with someone in that game and then I, I got 10 in the bin so with 9 minutes to go that's the end of the game for me so I just went in there, took my boots off, took my clothes off yeah. was having a shower and then Matt Paul Massey who was the team manager of the first grade team came in and said let's go um, Wayne better Oh, Dan Hunt's done his Achilles you're on the bench that's oh, wow! alright let's go like I was I was ready my parents probably the one game my parents didn't it was probably the second game that my parents didn't go to <laughs> and they were in Tamworth and I was sitting on the bench for first grade against Canberra yeah pretty cool were you shaking? I wanted to get on mate I could I just wanted to play
0: but, what happened when you didn't get on did you have a little chat to Wayne?
1: no he just said that he pulled me aside and he goes thanks for sitting on the bench yeah um but in my teams, you've got to earn playing for first grade, and you haven't earned it. He goes, you will earn it. He goes, and I know you will, but at the moment you haven't. I went, it's fair enough.
0: Oh, Another lesson in development. Yeah. Mate, in your interview with Anthony Minicello, you revealed that you were a Sydney Roosters fan. Yeah. Now, that same year, they play against the Roosters in the grand final. Yeah. How was a grand final day? Because you were obviously part of a team, but kind of going for the opposition at the same time. Yeah.
1: You know what it's like when yeah. you... Um as when you enter that professional world you don't really end of the day I'm an Aberdeen Tiger supporter and yes. that's me at heart that's where I'm from and that's my connection and as you go through life you become connected to different things and my connection with the Dragons was one that was very strong and I've become very passionate about it just through our experiences and things that we went through and um i trained with those guys day in, day out so yeah I, I wanted them to win obviously um, but yeah it was, it was pretty cool that was a very unique experience for myself because I was living, living with Darius 2010 mm. so every game I, every review every single thing that he'd done I watched the whole way through I, essentially I was a part of a team that went through a grand final process like I was training with them at the time so all the way through semi-finals and reviews and grand final prep, and I was a part of everything. Yeah. So, I, uh 2010, I was 18 years old. I I got to see what it, what you need to do to win a grand final yeah. like, and to feel that. And like I said, I'm pretty observant, so I was watching everything, and it was yeah remarkable, mate. Yeah.
0: Next year, like I remember your debut because it was a Friday night. Yeah. A lot of the Origin players were out. So really? you were number three, right centre. Actually, I'm not sure if you know yet, Jason Nightingale retired last night. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, so right, he's the know. one that set up your first try. He gave you a yeah. little basketball pass over the top, and yeah. you go diving in the right-hand corner out at Cogger Jubilee. And then the next one, Nathan Feen puts you through the hole, yeah. you hit that gap, and you go straight under the sticks, man. Like, yeah. your debut was impressive. Yeah. Two, two meat pies.
1: Yeah, two tries on debut. Um pretty cool. I loved it. It was I had all my mates there uh, from home, mum and dad. My nan was there. It was pretty special, mate. It's yeah, it's pretty special. I'll never forget it. I remember um, they kicked the ball, Dad. I picked up the ball and had twenty tap, and I took a run and just ran straight at him and and felt it, what it felt like, and I said, oh, if, if that's all it is, and I'm I'm okay. Like I had all this. Expectation, even though I'd trained with first grade for two years, I just didn't know what it was going to feel like. And off the tap, I just ripped into him. And I thought, this is sweet. Like, I, I knew I could be something in, this, in in the game, I knew I could handle the physical side because I was a pretty big guy. And mm. um, I remember during the week, I was marked, um, I knew that I was going to be up against Clinton Torpy and, and Scott Prince. Yeah. So they were the two that were there. And um, I remember Matt, Co- Matt Cooper saying to me that. You've got to take it to him, he's a very aggressive, experienced centre, and mm. if you sit back and don't take it to him, he'll get over you really quickly, and once he gets over you, he'll feel, he'll feel some confidence, and so I said I'd take it to him straight away, and I um, played pretty good, yeah. yeah, pretty stoked with it.
0: That number three that you wore, have you still got the jersey? Yeah, I do, yeah. Where did you framed it or anything Yeah, like framed
1: it, yeah. it's Gaz's jersey. Number three. A really few good number threes out he of number three? Yeah,
0: he yeah, was, he was number three.
1: Coops was number four. But that's another example of being part of a, a unit that was so experienced and planned. So I knew three weeks before that Mark Gasnier was going to be in Origin. So I knew that I was going to be playing right centre. So because I was training with first grade, every session I'd be training at right centre up against yeah. Gaz, up against Mark, Matt Cooper. Yep. Yeah. Um, and then every time, every skilled session, if they did eight shots, I'd I'd be doing two or one. So, and then while I was doing that, the person standing behind me was Mark Gasnier. So he was telling me everything. Bo Scott was on my inside. He was telling me everything. Wow. Like man, I was learning, learning day in day out everything that I needed to do. So when I got in there, there was no excuses.
0: The game would have been the simple part, right? Hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. So into the lead-up in that, because you know, obviously you come through the grades and you know you played 20, you captained in twenties, you did the Australian Kangaroos yep. junior Kangaroos you were captain as well, so yep. you had a fair rap on you before you hit first grade. That patience game to actually get from sitting on the bench in 2010 and 2011, were you good at that patient game, or were you kind of really eager just to get in there?
1: Uh, I wanted to play. Yeah. But at not one point did I ever think that the people in front of me didn't deserve to be there I was never looking at first grade going I'm better than him I'm better than him because it just wasn't the case I didn't know what playing first grade was like Mm. I had the utmost respect for the people who were there because they were winning and there was no reason for me ever to doubt that they they shouldn't be there so for me it was just Prepare yourself the best that you can be and when your time comes, take it. And that's just how I've been with everything. I'd, I'm, I'm, I won't criticise people in regards to the job that they do because it's easier said than done sometimes. Like, yeah. um, but when I get my opportunity, I'll make sure that I'm prepared and that I'll hopefully seize the moment, yeah.
0: Yeah, seeing that Wayne Bennett left, one of your good mates and very big influence, Darius Boyd, both of them leave for Newcastle. As soon as you heard that news... Was that kind of where you wanted to base yourself considering they had so much influence on already on your development?
1: That's the funny thing mate, it's, a, it's, a, it's another thing I've learnt throughout, this, throughout this, that period was uh, I was coming off contract at the end of 2011 and I wanted to be at Dragons. Mm. I didn't want to go anywhere else. Um, contract negotiations is something and throughout that process I learnt something very, very important. They offered me a deal in the November before the season even started Mm -hmm. to lock me up for three years they offered me 50 80 120 and I was like oh okay well I'm already on 50 now um, as an 18 year old kid uh, 19 year old kid so you're giving me the same money the next year and then you're giving me 80 120 in my eyes I thought I was worth more than that Mm -hmm. so I kind of just awaited it out Um, did you have a manager at the time? yep um SFX Sports was my management company. Yep. And they said that's not a good deal, says we'll sort it out. And they the dragons they they stuck solid on that, so they didn't change their offer. Mm-hmm. Um, I then got an offer from the Roosters and an offer from Parramatta that was three times as much as the offer that they gave me. And I went back to the Dragons at the time and Steve Price was going to be the coach and he said that we're sticking solid on this deal. Um wow. Jack DeBellin's on this deal, Jake Marquito's on this deal, mm-hmm. Trent Marion's on this deal. This is the deal that you're going to get. Yep. Um, I said, okay. Well, that's, uh, I think I think I'm worth more than that. Um, and I just just didn't feel right. I I just felt like I was getting lowboard a little bit. And yeah. um, I just I, I genuinely thought I was worth more than that. I I didn't see the the change in the, the in the money between the, what I was already on and the next year, and to see what everybody else how they value me. Um, was really like, whoa, okay, this is where you see me sit. And then, to add to that, ahead of me was Bo Scott, mm-hmm. Ben Cray, Jeremy Smith, um, Dean Young, Matt Pryor. So I had a lot of good players in front of me.
0: Use roadblock.
1: Pretty yeah, much. and yeah. I wanted to play. And in my back of my mind, I'm thinking, 2010, I debuted. I mean, 2000, yeah, 2010, I debuted and I played pretty well. So I want to play. Like and they couldn't guarantee me that I was going to play and I, I suppose at the time like I said like you said before did you want did you think that you could play or did you ever think that the people that were ahead of you um, were, weren't better than yourself and at, the, when, at that time I suppose I did I, I, I had played and I wanted to play now I, needed, I wanted to learn I, as time was ticking like as every young athlete gets to when you feel like you can play and you've shown that you can play and they're not playing you then you're going well I'm wasting my time man I need to play like time's ticking I want to be a part of this game like so then yeah, I just I just waited and I kept waiting mm-hmm. and I was, start, was playing really good footy under 20s um, 19 years old and went through the process and um, I was with Tegan at the time and, and my wife now and I said where did she want to go to university and I was already travelling back to Denver a lot yeah. so I was in the car which is an hour and a half past Newcastle and I said all right well I want to be in Newcastle so if you want to go to uni here I'll move back to Newcastle and that's where I do I said I spoke to my management company I said get me a deal at Newcastle that's where I want to go Um, so then they they tried to get me a deal at Newcastle but they couldn't get me anything yeah I said well what's going on like why can't you get me a deal I said I feel like I'm a good player I said I don't care what I'm on I said I, I don't care. I just want to go back to Newcastle. I so said, there's be an opportunity to play first grade there. Um, it's where I'm from. It's close to Tegan and my family. This mm. is where I want to be. And I told the Dragons that that was the case, and they were pretty annoyed, to be honest. And I, But that was the case, and I couldn't get a deal done. But So it came around um, June, and...
0: So you still had on the yacht? the Parramatta and the Roosters on the, Roosters on the and, table. Ja- and Dragons yep. on
1: the table didn't have a Knights offer and then at the time Darius was off contract as well so he was going to the Titans mm-hmm. and I'd seen all his offers and he, that's where he was going um, and then something came up and um, Darbs had a meeting with Wayne and he came back home and said he was going to Wayne, Wayne was signing with South Sydney mm-hmm. so I think Darius was going to go to South Sydney and then so Darish was very close to signing with South Sydney and then my management come back to me being very frustrated going mate I'm sorry but we can't get your deal at the night like we can't get your deal done yeah another week went on Wayne uh, Darb's come back to the unit and goes I'm going to Newcastle I said what do you mean and he goes I'm, that's where Wayne's going I said Wayne's going to Newcastle and he goes yep I said, mate, I've been trying to can get a deal done at Newcastle for about two months now. I said, I can't get one done. Does he not, does he not want me there? Like, what's happening? The next week, I played my debut against the Titans. Mm. Played pretty well. Very well. We went to dinner <laughs> as a team. Yep. Wayne sat down next to me. He goes, do you want to go to Newcastle, do you? I said, yeah, I do. And he goes, all right, let's get it done. It's history. Next week, I had a contract signed with the Knights. So the reason I couldn't get the deal done is because they didn't know who was... They didn't. They knew Wayne was coming in, yeah. but the deal wasn't done yet. So Wayne had told them not to sign any players before he got there because he wanted to know the books and he wanted to sign anyone who was coming in. Yeah. There's really no point signing a player if Wayne didn't want him there. And that was the issue. So, yeah, I was in limbo for a bit, but then recognising in the matter of two weeks that Wayne was going to the Bronco, I was going to the Knights, Darish was going to the Knights, I'd already wanted to go back home to the Knights, and then Wayne sat next to me after my debut and said, do you want to go to the Knights? I said, yeah, of course I do, so yeah.
0: Off the field, did it feel so much different, because you left home when you were 13 years yeah. old, for the first time in your adult life, you were back, you were close to your girlfriend at the time and your wife now her family, your family, had your good mates up there in Newcastle. Was it easier off the field for you to kind of focus on your footy because no, of your surrounding?
1: Yeah, very Distractions? Um, yep. Yep, I'd never had so many people around me. Like, I was always before just, just footy, few mates down in Wollongong, but it was, I was distinctly just there for football. Mm. Whereas here I had mates, I was loving life. Like um, The standard wasn't really high at the nights at the time. I didn't have a great deal of people pushing me. But I was obviously very determined myself to, to achieve stuff, so I was always training hard and, and I had Wayne there and Darryl, so they were my number as well. But just, it was, it was just they, different.
0: Facilities at Newcastle at the time wasn't what they have now either. No. So was that a huge shock? Because Dragons got pretty good facilities, don't they?
1: Yeah, I didn't really worry me, to be honest. I, yeah. I was just more enjoying the being around different people and... Mm. Being able to, yeah, just be myself a bit more with without, say, both Scott and Jeremy Smith and Ben Cray being above you, like, you kind of be yourself a bit more because I feel like I was coming into somewhere somewhere new and they didn't know who I was and you could feel like the ability to kind of express yourself a bit more, maybe even express yourself differently than how you were before.
0: Yeah. Round, um, but did you ever laugh because round one's against Dragons?
1: Yeah. Mate, I mean, it felt like a grand final, to be honest, um, playing at home at the night like it was packed stadium all the anticipation building up towards that was pretty crazy
0: yeah is there anything better than a packed what's it called now Mcdonald Jones Marathon Stadium Stadium when I was growing up you know No, it's pretty good the the people like it must have touched you especially you probably saw it you probably see it each week but the reaction when you got hurt Mm. it's just I don't think I've seen anyone a town or a team appreciate an individual more than when you probably got hurt, and you're probably the yeah. best person that can, can talk about it,
1: yeah. Pretty crazy. Um, it's something which I think I do think about a lot. Um, I do think about if it was somebody else, how would it still be the same? Mm. I just don't, I don't know. I, I'm just, I look at the situation and think I'm very grateful initially. It was something which. I was um, I was a bit ashamed of, and I felt a lot of pressure because there were a lot of other people that, after me, had been injured, whether it was in country rugby league or whether it was in all different different areas, whether it was in surf life saving that didn't have what I had. Yeah. And I felt like right from the beginning, I was an advocate for spinal cord injury and and all this type of stuff, and the pressure was on me to act in the correct way and be a very humble recipient of everybody's help and fact, mate, it was very tough and it was something which I um, I didn't handle really well to be honest in, indoors, like, I always felt a lot of pressure from it, um, I was very ashamed because I come from a, a proud family that stood on their own two feet and didn't need any help Yeah. and I was a kid that at 20 years old bought a house um, I moved away from home when I was 13, I didn't need anyone's help, I made first grade through my hard work I was at university through my hard work. I bought a house through my hard work and sacrifice. I didn't need anyone's help. And through an accident on a football field, which I could not control, Mm. I was then a burden. And I was then open for everybody to to feel like they were helping me out. and I hated it, mate. I I hated it so much, eh? Yeah.
0: On the phone the other day, we were talking about Sometimes in your darkest hours, you find something else. And we're we'll mm. talking about mindfulness. And just sitting here with you for an hour and a half now and on the phone the other day and just watching everything that you do, yeah. you have a life experience with someone that kind of looks like they're 50 sometimes. Yeah. Is it kind of, you know, even though you've got your own goals now to, to recover and mm. then one day walk, I'm sure, do you, you kind of sometimes reflect on that other side that, had you not got hurt, you might not have the mindset that you've got today.
1: Yeah, I've I've changed a lot. I'm still the same person and I still have the same values, Mm. but I feel like, and this is probably the mindfulness coming out of me and and a a bit of a spiritual side that I've really found, Um, I feel like I've really evolved as a person and I feel like that's what life's all about. It's about facing challenges um, head on. Yeah. Um, navigating your way through them and then evolving and I think once you can strip it all back and clearly see yourself like that and see each challenge like that and consciously when you're in, in tune with who you are, enter those situations and um, whether you're ready for them or not, once you feel that challenge once you overcome it and push through it, at the end you'll see a clear elevation of yourself and that's that's where I'm at I can, um, yeah, that's just where well, I've changed a lot. Um, I don't know whether I would have got to this point in my life, um, spiritually or where I'm at right now if I didn't get injured and I'm, I don't really think about whether I got injured or whether I would want to go back to how I used to be. Mm. Um, the crazy thing in my mind says right now that I wouldn't change anything, yep. um, because how I sit right now inside my mind and my body and the position that I'm in as a person in my life right now, I wouldn't change it, which is alarms go through my head. They really do when I say that mm. because it just it's not the right thing to say, some people would say, but because I feel like a lot of other people that have had challenges and, and maybe even had a spinal cord injury If they could go back, they would, but I feel like me right now, I've absorbed everything that I've been through and everything that I'm going to go through, and I feel like I just wouldn't change it. It's really weird for me to say that, but Mm. yeah.
0: Speaking of challenges, when you got married to Tegan last year, she set you a challenge, both of you together, to stand up at the wedding. Yeah. Now, you were trained for 15 minutes. Yeah. And now I'm hearing that she kind of tricked you, and it was 45. How did that all go down then?
1: Yeah, it's pretty crazy. I, I'd i only been to one wedding, and I didn't really know what she expected. Yeah. It's, my wedding day is a day that I look back at right now and, and think of, and it was just magical, mate. I, I don't know how I did it. I really don't know how I did it. I even think if I had to do it tomorrow, whether I would be able to do it. Really? Was it yeah. just adrenaline? Yeah, I don't know. I just went into this... Different world, mate. It was sounds really weird, but yeah, I'm, I've got a real spiritual side. Down, I just felt like I was in a different place. It was just not real. I was kind of numbing, and
0: so the time just fly? Yeah, flew.
1: Um, definitely, a lot of nerves and adrenaline was felt at the time. It just, it was pretty crazy. I didn't know until two days before that it was forty-five minutes to ceremony and. Yeah, had no idea how I was going to do it.
0: You've done it, but man. Yeah. Knowing that you had something like that, an actual goal, did that make kind of going to rehab a lot easier? Uh, yes and no.
1: Because of the situation that you're in with a spinal cord injury, everybody puts this expectation and, and labels on... I suppose I created it as well with setting my own goals, making them very public. Mm. But then... The contrast with that is that people don't actually understand the recovery process. So they think it's on you. You set the goal. Um, We've seen people walk from a spinal cord injury. So if you don't do it, then you haven't tried hard enough. Yeah. And initially, that was probably the mindset that I had, that I was in control. But unfortunately, with most people that suffer a spinal cord injury, you are not in control. Um, there's a, there is a handful of stuff that you can control yep. and as time went on I got to be able to control that but in regards to recovery there's only a small component of the recovery that you can really control and um, and that was something which was very frustrating in the beginning to get my head around that I, I wasn't in control of that Yeah. Um, but the small component that I was in control of and that was going to give me benefit I was going to control that as much as I could, and put all the effort into my rehab and the programs that I do, and yeah, definitely give it my best shot.
0: Yeah, in terms of research into recovery methods and things like that, when you first got injured, did you want to know everything, or was it more kind of now that you do more research?
1: Well, I initially thought that once you got injured, there was always a procedure, yeah, so that would get you back to where you were. I'd well, been around rugby league a lot and I'd seen a lot of injuries and everybody would come back from them and I just thought it was a matter of time that I was going to be able to come back and and recover and as time went on, especially maybe a month, I started to realise that that wasn't the case and that it was not going to recover how I wanted it to and that, yeah, that I started to... To find, look for research, but I didn't really know where to look. I had no idea what I was looking for. Yeah, who was credible source? You know what I mean? I just was had no idea. And um, I think in today's like, it, like to, I, if I was went looking today, I could find a lot of different stuff. I know a lot of different people um, that are doing great things with research for spinal cord injuries and recovery. And um, I get a lot of confidence out of that because I know that how advanced it is yeah um so it's very promising but four years ago it probably wasn't
0: so in terms of recovery now because when you first got hurt you didn't really have access you didn't have use of your your limbs yeah yeah now you obviously you can hold a coffee cup yeah. you can use your phone you can do you can do bits and pieces yeah. how long did that take for you to kind of bring that back up
1: it's been a very slow process Maybe for probably three months, I couldn't yeah. move barbs
0: Because you're even benched. I saw a post that you were yeah. bench, you're benching a little bit now.
1: Yeah. Um, so for probably three months, I had to have someone feed me, give me a drink of water, everything. Um, I was literally just ahead. And all oh, I can move was my neck. I yeah. it was pretty crazy. Um,
0: someone that is used to doing everything himself.
1: Hated it, mate. Like,
0: yeah.
1: Hated it, hated it, hated it, hated it so frustrating.
0: Would have brought you back down to earth, though, like oh. 100 miles an hour. Yeah.
1: yeah. I always say it's from the. You know, I went from the penthouse to the shithouse in the matter of a tackle. Like mm. it, everything changed so quickly. Um, but like I said before, I was always someone that didn't want people's help. But I had to realise that the reality is you need it and the people who, who want to give it actually care. And, yeah, you just got to absorb that frustration of yourself because in life you've got, sometimes you've got to make a decision, and it sounds pretty serious, but the decision was, for me, was whether I wanted to live or not. And I made that decision, and Wayne's always said to to his people that he coaches, and um, he's always said to me, once you make a commitment, you've got to stick to it. And that's just, I always have made, I was once you've made the commitment, there's no, there's no out. You can't go backwards. And i I've publicly made that commitment. I've privately made that commitment with my wife, uh, my family, and once I'm in, I'm in. So it doesn't matter the frustrations or whatever it is, that's the deal's signed, so, yeah.
0: You talked about the shoot house to the penthouse. Penthouse is coming up, my man, because you're about to become a father. Yeah. Talk to me about fatherhood, man, because it's going to be one of the greatest moments of your life and it's fast approaching October.
1: Yeah, probably when I first got injured, it was one of the first things I thought of Well, yeah. I was going to be, have kids. Okay. It's probably something my whole life that I've thought about having kids. Mm-hmm. Just because oh, um, you're a single child, aren't yeah, you? only child, and I just love that family kind of gathering, uh, community kind of things. Like I love that um, mateship and just building something together. Um, yeah, it, it gives you a lot of purpose and that type of stuff. So I'm very excited, mate. I'm really excited to be honest. I can't wait.
0: Your parents must be stoked seeing that you're a single child. Yeah, they're, they're the McKinnon really family is just about to double.
1: Yeah, yeah, they're pretty excited, mate. I can't wait.
0: <laughs> How's Tegan going with it all?
1: Yeah. Just as usual, she's, just
0: yeah. She's been your absolute rock, man. Like, where did you guys first meet?
1: We met, we met at the bottom pub at Denman.
0: At Denman? You yeah. know what? It's funny. I owe my mate. My mate lives in Denman. Oh, really? And I've never been, but he keeps wanting me to come up. It's a good place. I love so it. So I actually owe him a visit, so I'm definitely very intrigued what happens up there.
1: Yeah, no, it's a beautiful place. It's um, it's very close to my hometown, Aberdeen. Yep. And um, there used to be a lot of rivalry as a football team between Aberdeen and Denman, so I used to hate Denman, but the more I spent there, the more I seen Teagan. I started to love the place, and it's really nice. a really nice country up there and beautiful people and um, just a good place, yeah.
0: Okay, to wrap things up, you love American sports. Yes. So do I. You know, we're both keen UFC guys. Tell me a little bit about your love of UFC. Obviously, a fighter is a different animal. It's a different person. Are you kind of seeing, considering what you went through and even going being a footballer, tell me about how you kind of relate to some of these guys that are actually fighting.
1: Yeah, it's kind of a, a different, I suppose, similarity that I've drawn from them. Like I said, I'm a bit of a weirdo. Yeah. And I analyse things a lot. And I just had this real fascination or something that drew me to UFC. Uh, mixed martial arts, and I didn't really know what it was, but I started to really become really intrigued in it, and I began to realise that myself, and when I, when my passion for the for mixed martial arts came about, was at a period in my life where I needed to build a solid foundation, mm-hmm. and I'd started to take risks, um, i.e., stepping away from the nights and taking myself out of my comfort zone to find a bit of a challenge and really build a foundation. And that foundation was one of health um, and income and then also happiness. And to be able to build that foundation um, through educating myself on my condition that I'm living with, Mm. um, getting great resources and people who in the field know what they're doing strengthens uh, my confidence of my own situation but then also in regards to an income challenging myself on what I wanted to do and then going out and educating myself through experience and just putting myself out there so when I started to build this solid foundation mm. um, with health and, and everything I've spoken about I began to draw this real comparison to a mixed martial arts fi- fighter and um, for you, for, for, you for, um, for those of you who don't really know much about mixed martial arts it's um, it, it is an art, so it's 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 bringing together a component, um, each component, which makes up mixed martial arts, mm. um, to then go into the ring yeah. and challenge yourself. It's like and ten fighting styles. It it's is. Crazy. It's, um, there's Muay Thai. There's kickboxing. There's Jiu-Jitsu. There's um, there's, there's
0: all sorts. There's so many different karate. Karate. Yeah. There's so many wrestling.
1: Um, wrestling. There's so many different com- components to a UFC fighter, and I looked at the best people and. They had this really strong foundation and they were able to go into the octagon and challenge themselves. But in that challenge, um, sometimes they'd win with a different component of that strong foundation. And yeah. As a champion would go from fight to fight to fight, they would then begin to win with a different component each time. And each different time, some, they'd be challenged in a different way. And, for me I drew a lot of similarities between the challenges that they were facing and how they were winning their fights and how they were continuing to evolve how they weren't staying the same that they were always looking for something different and um, and um, seeking perspective and seeking different training and yeah. and really trying to be the best that they can and um, it's an individual sport as i, as I see seen my, my, myself right now I've obviously got a lot of support from my wife and my family and cetera, yeah. but at the end of the day sometimes you're in it by yourself and you need to put in your own effort by yourself. So I, I see myself like that as a mixed martial arts fighter. That's how I see myself. And um, I'm always trying to elevate and try to educate myself in all different situations. But yeah, I've really grown a, a really big passion for, for mixed martial arts. and something I really enjoy. Yeah.
0: Final question, final question this time is I saw the other day you ran into Sonny Bill Williams. Yeah. That looked amazing that you guys connected I think a transition with Sonny Bill Williams would be pretty awesome between the two, yeah.
1: Yeah, I think that was pretty cool. I was just finishing work at Fox Sports, I was about to get in my car and drive home, and himself and Koda Nasa walked around the corner and just ran into each other. Really, I was, and really, he, um, I just felt this really calming, calm feeling of that that, that arose when I was talking to him. Um,
0: I'm trying to think, did you guys play against each other?
1: Yeah, I played against him in 2013 because we made the semi-final. Um, the one before the GF in 2013 we played against them for them to go into the grand final and
0: um, did he hit you hard
1: I didn't actually he was on the other side of the field to be honest (laughs) thank Um, god eh yeah (laughs) (laughs) but yeah it was just a real I know he's a special guy sonny he has a really not really
0: um, that was a great interview by Matty Johns on Sunday too wasn't
1: it he has this this comforting um, energy this I don't know, there's just something about him. I feel like he's going to do great things... Away from sport. Away from sport. Yeah. I feel like he just would need to give himself time to really channel it and find his position, whether it's in the community or... it's going to be something in leadership it, where yeah, he can influence
0: or, people in a positive way. Yeah.
1: yeah. And I, I think anybody who um, is under that guidance will achieve, will achieve great things because he's just... I don't know, he just gets it. Yeah, absolutely. He's well, pretty special. And he's just, yeah, the way that, it sounds really weird, but the way that he treated me, he, kneeling down kneeling down in front of me is something which not a lot of people do, mm-hmm. um, especially someone who's six foot five, like he's yeah. really tall. Um, the fact that he came come down to my level and he really was genuinely engaging with me, um, I don't know Sonny from anyone. Like I'm, I'm probably, he's probably six, seven years older than me. And yeah. I'm just someone who I've idolised my whole life, played the same position, he's just a superstar, and he's done everything in, in sport. And um, yeah, It's pretty, pretty special to, to sit down and chat
0: with him. Yeah, all right. I said final question already. Final question is, it's my dinner party question. Now, you've got five invites. They're only rules, no family or friends, yep. but you can invite anyone dead or alive. How many? Five.
1: My first one would be Theo Epstein. Theo Epstein is the general manager of the Chicago Cubs. Yep. Um, used to be the general manager at the Boston Red Sox.
0: Have you been regularly filled? No. Nah. you got to go, man. Yep,
1: I want yeah. go. He'd be the first one.
0: I've never seen a stadium. I did a stadium tour. I didn't get to go to a game, but just even touring this stadium, yeah. it is so much different to anywhere I've ever been, man. And it's still got the original everything.
1: Yeah, That's far out. He's number one. Yep. Wayne Bennett is number two.
0: I'll let you invite him. He's, yep. He's been a big influence. Even though I said no family or friends, I'll give you one.
1: Because I just want to see how he interacts with these guys. Yeah. So that's two. I would have Bill Belichick.
0: Patriots. Yep.
1: As number three. Yep. I would probably go... You challenging me here? I would probably go um, two more. I would go. I'd probably go someone like Virgil, um, who's the head of Off-White collection in um, fashion in in over in America. Okay. He's crazy. He used to be a creative designer for. Um, Kanye West's um, brand and he now is the head of fashion at um, Louis Vuitton I think he's a creative director there so something to really mix it up and then I'd probably go for someone like Mark Warburg I think
0: he's good eh Marky Mark
1: I think it would really change it up I'd love to get a female in there just to to change things up
0: hey how did it feel when the rock rang out?
1: yeah it was pretty cool
0: how good was that I saw that one of Bo Ryan's little things, yeah. but that would've been pretty cool for the rock to be on the other side of the, especially when you, you were hurting at the time, bad yeah. too. I
1: was actually laying on a bed in physio when he called me. I had no idea who it was. Did
0: yeah. you thought it was JR? G-Up?
1: A little bit, yeah. I did, yeah. I had no idea who it was. I've had a lot of, a lot of support, mate. A lot of good people. Um, and then that voice comes on,
0: this is Dwayne Johnson.
1: Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool.
0: What an experience. Alex, thanks so much for joining me on the hundredth episode of Talking with TK. Before I get let you go, my man, www.alexmckinnon.com.au. That's your website. Your Facebook's Alex M McKinnon. Twitter McKinnon92. Instagram Alex McKinnon. You can catch Alex on the Sunday Ticket, which is every Sunday on Fox Sports. Also check out Transitions, which is on Players Voice. Yep. Anything else you want to add, there, buddy?
1: No, it's, it's been a pleasure, mate. I really enjoyed it. I could probably sit here for like two hours and chat to people.
0: But... <laughs> we could just talk UFC for two yeah, hours. That'd be good. Well, thank nice. you so much for joining me on the show, and I look forward to continuing to see your progress, brother. No,
1: thank you very much. Really appreciate it. Awesome, man.
0: And that, guys, was Alex McKinnon. I'm sure that you are very inspired to go work on your own goals now. You know, he is just a, you know, someone that was one of the most cherished conversations i've had over 100 episodes and i've had some beauty so yeah reach out to alex let him know that you listen to the episode twitter is at mckinnon 92 you also find him at alex mckinnon on his instagram like i did mention before he's an analyst on fox sports so check him out on the sunday ticket or i love you show transitions you know that you can find that on player's voice so do check all that out Big thank you again to all the guests that have featured on season one of talking with TK. I've had an absolute ball meeting all of you. So really, really grateful for every single one of you giving up some time to have a yarn and spread some positive messages. If you haven't yet, please, you can subscribe to the show. Just check out www.talkingwithtk.com. Please get in touch Probably the easiest way. Like the Facebook page at talking with TK. Send me a message on there or send any guest requests or even if you just want to have a yarn, please send through any emails the old-fashioned way. Tristan at TalkingWithTK.com. Would love to hear from you. Now, last week on the show, we had another legend. Now, MG, Mark Geyer, came on the podcast. One of my favorite players from when I was growing up. Love listening to him on the Rush Hour and previously on the Grill Team. Doing some great things with Triple M. And he's just such a legend of a bloke. He's just... Uh, he just always gives back and that's what i love about him that's the biggest thing i learned from mg is that giving back factor and something that i really want to just introduce on a daily basis in my
2: life a hard process you know i've had some really dark dark times i've had some some absolutely jubilant times where um you don't think you can get any higher as far as team sport goes winning a grand final with your mates was the best Um, you know and then three years later after that i was playing for your minor Central Coast, and then I was over in Perth, and then had my first child in 95, and came back to Penrith, um, and basically had to build a lot of bridges to get them to agree to have me back um, at the foot of the mountains, and um, yeah, then I, you know, five kids later, and I I basically, when I retired in 2000, I just said, you know, after what I'd been through in the last decade, um, just don't say no to anything, whatever comes your way, you know, because I wasn't really prepared to to retire, I, I had no plan B, um, I just thought I'd keep playing, you don't really, you know, it's it's hard to give away something that you've been doing since you were four years of age, and when you when that time comes, it's scary, and when I did it, I was lucky that I had a, um, a bit of a mentor in Luz Ivanovic, who's still involved with the Penrith team, and he's got his own business, Cabe Enterprises, and he had a uh, factory out west, at Penrith, basically manufacturing training clothes and oh, jersey scats yeah. sportswear yeah that's the one and stevie carter was working for them well, i said to scar do you reckon there's any more work for me there and so i went from being on i think i was on a 400 grand my last year of footy yeah. in 2000 to uh 750 bucks a week with three kids and uh, a mortgage so you yeah, know uh reality hit me pretty suddenly with a thud. and uh my first gig on in any sort of media was C91.3 at Campbelltown. Um, Rob Duckworth was the morning announcer down there, and I kind of knew him from the Triple M days. And um, he rang me one day and said, "We need someone to do a footy tipping on the Friday, and then on a Monday we'll talk to you about the results." So I said, "Yes." Wait. I think I, they gave me a hundred bucks a week for doing that, and yeah. and then I, I did that, and then I did a bit of ABC radio commentary. Um, then I did a bit of Two UE, a bit of Two GB, C90. Uh, Talking sport, two SM for three or four years, and then uh, two thousand and seven, I did Monday night footy here at Triple M, and a uh, year and a half later, I, in that meantime, I was doing Dead Set Legends on a Saturday with Rabs and um, Dan Ganane and Billy Bir- uh, Billy Birmingham, yeah. and then the Breakfast Show came up and I auditioned and luckily I got the got the part and um, we celebrated nine year. Well, they celeb- the boys and girls celebrated nine years. Uh, um, on the sixteenth of uh August, and I started my show this year, which is the Rush hour with m g which I friggin love.
0: so I think you enjoy listening to this one to end season one. really appreciate all of you joining in A couple more weeks' time. I'll be back for season two, so in the meantime, enjoy all the episodes from season one. And I look forward to bringing you some more amazing guests in Season 2. But like I said, love to hear from who you would like on the show. So get in touch, and I'll keep bringing you these awesome people. All right, guys, that's a wrap for today. I'm Tristan Cannell, and this was Talking with TK.